At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Hi, and welcome to episode 139 of the Love Food Podcast. I'm Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. As you're making your steps on your food peace journey, I wonder if you ever maybe make assumptions about what other people are thinking about you. Maybe you're at a restaurant and you really want to order a hamburger, or maybe you really want to order a really big salad. And maybe you're wondering if other people are judging you. And actually, as I say that, maybe you're not wondering, maybe you're believing that others are judging you. I have a letter from someone who really is stuck in a place on her food peace journey where she really cannot seem to make a way forward because her food choices are so intertwined in what other people think. And there's a flip side to that. This person knows that it happens because she's also judging other people's food choices. And honestly, the people that I've talked to along their food peace journey, I have found this to be a very common struggle and experience and can be a very dark place. I know some people can feel stuck there for years and years. That's why I chose this letter. I look forward to you hearing it and we get a chance to hear from fellow dietitian, Jenna Hollenstein. She is the author of a book, Eat to Love, and she's someone who uses meditation and self-compassion work to help a person on their food peace journey. And she really brings some important and new information. Um, I was scribbling, taking notes while I was talking to her and sign up for some of the programs that she talked about. So I know you're going to find them really helpful. Before we hear this episode's letter and from Jenna Hollenstein, a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses If you are affected by that medical condition, polycystic ovarian syndrome, you probably have been told to diet to fix this condition. Well, I hope you know that you can't cure PCOS and diets don't fix it because diets don't work. It's not your fault. I struggled for a long time to help people to heal their relationship with food and to feel more at home in their own skin when they're affected by PCOS because there were just not a lot of tools out there to help. And over the last 10 or 15 years, I've come up with a 12-step system that I put into a course. 
You can get to all the information and details on the course at PCOSandfoodpeace.com. I also teach other dietitians to do this. So you can get to information on that course, which includes 20 CEUs for you dietitians at PCOSandfoodpeace.com slash dietitians. All right, enough of all of that. Let's get to this episode's letter. Dear Food, I have recently been on an uphill battle to try and fix our relationship. After countless years of living a secret life with unacknowledged eating disorder, consisting largely of restricting and binging, I made the change to recognize and treat my disordered eating patterns. I have since been diagnosed with an eating disorder and currently adventuring through the recovery process with a support system of professionals and loved ones. Although I can feel and appreciate the changes that I've made and the growth that I've experienced, there is one reoccurring thought I cannot let go of. I feel that it is keeping me trapped in my eating disorder world. Currently, I am gradually increasing my food intake and attempting to diversify the types of food that I consume. However, I'm finding this to be painfully difficult experience because I cannot stop thinking that everyone is constantly judging me for what I eat. Essentially, whenever I eat something, I believe that other people are thinking to themselves, wow, look at her eating that. She's eating that because she's fat. This thought is strongest if I were to ever eat food that is constructed as quote unquote unhealthy. But it's also present if I were to eat food that is constructed as healthy, but consume a lot of it. For example, when I eat at a restaurant, I fear finishing my plate because I assume that the waitstaff will judge me for eating all of the food and will judge my body. That being said, I understand that this is an illogical belief to have. I have countless pieces of objective evidence from doctors, the scale, the size of clothing I wear that indicate that I'm not fat. I am not in a larger body. Yet, This evidence doesn't override my internal belief that my body is too big and that others are in agreement with me. Throughout my recovery process, I have come to understand that I hold a strong core belief that my worth comes from my body and that I should always strive for a smaller body. I know this belief is problematic, but I can't stop agreeing and believing it. To add one other layer to this puzzle, this thought, where others judge my body and believe that I shouldn't be eating because my body hasn't achieved that thin ideal it has been striving for, is particularly difficult for me to let go because I hold this judgment on others. I find myself judging others for what they eat, and I tend to, in my mind, idealize those with small bodies and not hold them to the same judgment. This has been a difficult piece for me to accept because it makes me feel so sad and ashamed to think that I'm doing to others what I fear others are doing to me. This fear has fueled so many problematic behaviors, and I know it's so unfair for me to uphold this judgment on others. I'm wondering how I can overcome this. How do I remove this judgment that I place on myself and others? How do I let go of this tiring, inaccurate, mind-reading game I am constantly playing? Will I ever accept my body and accept the fact that it deserves to eat food and a variety of foods? Sincerely, 
a life of judging and judgment. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Hey there, letter writer. Thanks for your note. I'm so glad that you are on the journey to recovery, and I hope the conversation that ensues allows you to have just some different points to explore. From reading your note, you mentioned kind of near the end, the other added layer to the puzzle, the thought where you're afraid of other people judging your body and realizing how much you do this yourself. And I think, honestly, that is at the crux. I think that's like the most important part because it sounds like you've internalized our cultural fat phobia and what's keeping you stuck is that duality, judging others and judging yourself. I often tell my clients who have the same fear of people judging is that those that are doing the judging, the harshest judging, are the ones that are doing the harshest judging to themselves. And what a tough spot to be in. And I don't want that shame spiral to keep you from recovery. I always say, shame never promotes health. And I don't think it's helping you here either. So what we're going to do is we're going to give Jenna Hollenstein a call. She's the author of Eat to Love. She's a dietitian that helps people recover from eating disorders too. And let's hear her insight on this. Hello. Hey, Jenna. It's Julie Duffy Dillon. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm great. I'm glad that we have a chance to connect and I'm excited to dig into this letter. Did you get a chance to read it? Mm -hmm. I did. Oh, good. So when you read it, what was your general impression about what this person's experiencing? My initial reaction was this person's personal soundtrack is just harsh and self-aggressive and nonstop, kind of like elevator music. Like I could just imagine the things that she's saying to herself sort of over and over and over again to the point where she believes they are true. These, you know, it, it always makes me think of that don't believe everything you think little sign you sometimes are lucky enough to see on like a therapist door. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've but seen those before. Was, yep. <laughs> yeah. That was my that was my feeling. I was just it was just kind of this this sense of like, wow, this is this is sort of like the background music in her life all the time, 
with all of the progress that she's made, with all of the the introspection that she's done, this is this is the soundtrack that's kind of narrating her day-to-day existence. You totally pushed like a nostalgic button when you talked about the elevator music, by the way. Mm-hmm. And calling it her personal soundtrack, there's something about that to me that promotes this visual of like someone stuck in an elevator or even my own memories of like being in an elevator with really bad music and how that would just feel like, especially with the type of of soundtrack that's going on and on and on, how that would feel like expected and then also terrifying and exhausting, like so exhausting to have to constantly battle and try to run from, but you can't. Because you're trapped in that elevator with the music, you know? Well, and there's a, there's a tone to it. Mm. There's a tone to it that I think, you know, because it is sensory, it gets into your body and it affects the way you feel in your body. How would you describe the tone? Sort of dark and hammering and sort of a little paranoid and anxious, mm-hmm. um, sort of scanning for potential threats. Um, uh, it's something that that sort of is heavy, but also doesn't let you like relax. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's really. I feel like that's an amazing way to describe it. And you know, I have some. I don't know. I, I when I was reading it, I was connecting some dots that I'm wondering if you connected the same ones because I feel like there's so many different ways you can um, look at this type of experience, and it is so darn common, unfortunately. Yeah. But what do you think is the why it's there. Like, why is this personal soundtrack constantly playing? Well, I think part of it is because in a small, unanticipated way, it could be true. Because we live in this culture that encourages us to step outside of our bodies and look at them from the outside critically. And then we internalize that. We learn how to do that. And we learn how to project it on other people as well. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the judgments that we or other people have are true. That means that we have been programmed to seek problems to be fixed as if once we discover what those are and fix them, we will be free from suffering mm. and we'll be happy and we'll live a life of joy and hotter sex and you know nonstop happiness, which is not true because there's nothing that will do that. But this is, you know, this is why I refer to this type of, it's sort of like magical thinking. And I send that to like magical eating, like people that kind of do eating in a way to seek the, the, the end of suffering, you know, but it is sort of magical thinking that there's something that we could just identify and exercise it and then we'd be okay. Right. Oh, yeah. So do you know what I mean? Like I do. So, I do. In a way, I don't know what to say to people when they talk about the perceived judgment sometimes because people might be judging them, but that usually does say more about the person doing the judgment because they also have this horrible, dark, hypervigilant soundtrack going on for them that makes them scan the horizon for problems that need to be altered. Mm, you know, and I something that I'm thinking about is the person who wrote this letter. Mm-hmm. seems to have an awareness that I'm not sure another person listening would have. Like that, because I, I feel like a the most common kind of conversation that I have in my office is the initial one that this person brought up, like that 
the fear of other people judging and mm. not always having that awareness that it's um, coming from this internalized set of false beliefs or false truths, yeah. I guess what we would call them. And um, so for that, this letter writers, you know, they're onto something. And, you know, if you're thinking about someone who's in this place where they're aware that they have these false truths that they're living their life by, and it's really getting in the way of their relationship with food, going to a place of more healing, what would you say, what would you recommend as like the first steps to like turn off that really shitty music? You know, what yeah. what can they do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to echo what you're saying because it's clear from the language and just the phrasing that she uses that she's done a lot of work and she does have a lot of self-awareness. And even so, there's pain. You know, and I think a big part of our work is to help people become a little bit more comfortable with discomfort. I think that is kind of like the the magical skill of of real life. Yes. Um, yes, I agree. And, you know, I was going to say something, too, about that, yeah. because I remember a therapist once told me is uh, she said, Julie, my job is not to help you stop feeling. It's to get you better at feeling or like, yeah, it's something like that, like get just better at knowing your feelings and sitting with them, you know, and not to like stop feeling them. (laughs) So exactly. And I think the way that you change the music is with a self-compassion practice. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean like a Pollyanna BS practice. It actually means taking a look at the negative propaganda we've internalized and turned and used against ourselves and starting to poke holes in it because somehow the negative stuff starts to feel more true. It's almost self-protective or like emotional worst case scenario kind of things. And we think like if I can just anticipate the worst possible thing and knock it down, I'll be okay. But I think that, you know, being able to poke holes in the negative soundtrack and kind of look at things with a sense of objectivity starts to open up a little more space. And those negative, aggressive things that we say to ourselves start to seem a little less strong, a little less solid, and a little less true. And then that kind of, you know, it it kind of creates a space in which you can experience things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Like, just even, I mean, this sounds kind of conceptual, but even just imagining how you would feel if you didn't believe my thighs are gross. What would it, you know, like Byron Katie has that book entitled, who would you be without your story? I've never read that. It sounds like I need to. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's, you know, so what would your life be like? What would your music be like? if you weren't repeating these things to yourself day in and day out, you know, might that clear up some mental real estate for other things Mm -hmm. or just space, just existing? Right. I think that's awesome. I think, and, you know, I also think about our world's cultural kind of uh, judgments about bodies and size and internalized fat phobia being just like, oh, all over the place. Um, Have Mm -hmm. you found anything in particular... Um, cause I, that's one of those false truths that 
um, is in so many of our brains. It's it's really been pervasive. And um, I know for me, I'm actively trying to repair that and rewrite that and, and raise mm-hmm. a family to not think in that way. But have you found anything in particular that has been helpful for maybe this letter writer or someone listening going through the same thing, especially if they are walking this earth in a larger body, like anything that they can do to feel like yeah. a better advocate for themselves, which I, don't, I, I even didn't come out the way I wanted to. Cause I'm like, they shouldn't have to right. be a better advocate <laughs> or just I know. something I know. to, to, um, I don't know. There just is something sort of an forward. inherent activism that seems to pair with this process. Yes. Isn't there? Yeah. Which yeah. is really tricky if you're sort of ambivalent at the beginning of it. Which I can sense um, the ambivalence in this person. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I do think that, I mean, three things come to mind. The first one is immersing themselves in this lifestyle, in a sense. It's mm-hmm. like changing what they're consuming in terms of social media. So that like just visually you know, they're being stimulated by a variety of images of bodies, you know, Mm -hmm. and not only uh, images that frame larger bodies as problematic or unwell or any number of horrible things that are, you know, that the messaging contains. Mm -hmm. Um, So really changing that, reading books about this topic. And, you know, one of my favorites is Appetites by Caroline Knapp. Um, that just even dissects the, the, the paradox of how women's bodies and desires and appetites are so fearsome to the world that they've been like controlled systematically over time. We must be able to do so much, right? I mean, if, if they're so scared of our appetite and what we can do, no wonder we've been controlled for so long and how much shit we can get done, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Word up. <laughs> um, the second thing, <laughs> the second thing is the self compassion practice and checking out like Kristen Neff's work. You, you, even if you don't want to read the book, going to selfcompassion.org and reading what self compassion is and what it isn't, becoming familiar with these things and just beginning to bring elements of self compassion in imperfectly but consistently over time. You know, I have clients that sneak into the bathroom and do the five minute compassion break on the insight timer, you know, during their work Mm -hmm. day, Mm -hmm. which just, again, it interrupts the momentum of that harmful music and opens up the possibility for more space. So which, which meditation on insight timer is it that you just mentioned? It's it's called the compassion break. It's about five minutes in length and it's by Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F. Who is to self-compassion what Brene Brown is to shame resilience? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another Texas researcher mm-hmm. who um, has, you know, really put out there very, very important work and resources that are practical. Um, and even though my sense is that, you know, her work is not 100% weight neutral, to be right. completely honest. Right. I think, you know, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's mm-hmm. still time. <laughs> I think I think you know? it's a really important thing to point out and to also glean what we need from it. And then also like, okay, let's build on it. Like, you know, yeah. we as professionals, especially and other professionals listening, we can build on the research from Kristen Neff and then decide how we can use that in a fat positive way. You know? And there's a movement going on. So my mm-hmm. guess is that over time she'll hear and see evidence of why framing the obesity epidemic as it is framed is not useful or Mm -hmm. um, accurate. 
Or compassionate. <laughs> or compassionate. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, the final thing, it wouldn't be a conversation with me if, if I didn't even talk about meditation, uh, regular, simple breath awareness, um, and actually an open eye meditation practice called shamatha, um, that again, can be done, you know, in, in little ways consistently over time. It doesn't have to be dramatic in order to have a, a beneficial effect on your life, but it slows things down. It connects us with with our bodies. It allows us to see ourselves in space in a way that gives us choices that we don't have when we can't see ourselves. Mm. Oh, you know? th- those are great. Those are great steps. Thank you. And um, you've given me some homework too, because um, <laughs> meditation and, and especially insight timer is, is a tool I use um, just about daily it. in my life. So we have something as a part of the Love Food Podcast, and it's called the Food Peace Syllabus. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome, first of all. But also (laughs) the the Food Peace Syllabus is a collection of resources that we have, like other podcasts or books, songs, videos, anything under the sun that helps to further promote a person's food peace journey. And you've mentioned a number of resources, Jenna, that I would love to add to the Food Peace Syllabus. So I will put them on there. But Is there anything else that you would like to add to it? I would definitely offer my friend's online meditation community called the Open Heart Project. Um, She's my friend and my meditation instructor, Susan Piver. And she is who I learned this open eye practice from. And if you join the Open Heart Project for free, you get a weekly email with a talk about how to bring these practices into your life and a 10-minute guided meditation that you can just practice with whenever you want. Guess who's going to sign up as soon as we hang up. That sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, exactly. And, and what's interesting too is that Susan, you know, through our relationship over time has definitely come over to the, the light of the, the health at every size approach. And, you know, we have, we had just like a, an interesting series of conversations over the last 10 years about health and weight and body and kind of working with all that energy and transforming, um, you know, your relationship with those things. And she, she's actually the publisher of my, my book that's coming out, Eat to Love. Um, she has a new imprint called Lionheart Press that I think people should be aware of because this is a, a new, a new publisher that prioritizes Buddhist wisdom and women's voices and marginalized voices. So it's something to be conscious of. Oh, I love that. Thank you for telling us about the publisher. That's, that's great. And thank you, Susan. So tell us about your book. Yeah. So my book is the same name as my business, Eat to Love, which is something my mom says. And it's a mindful guide to transforming your relationship with food, body and life. And it's, it's basically merging an intuitive eating approach with Buddhist teachings and meditation in a way that makes them very practical. So like if you've never had a meditation practice and you're meditation curious, this could be an introduction for you. And even if you have a meditation practice, this could be uh, a, a new way of working with a different aspect of your life. Because for a lot of us, the food and body stuff is sort of a blind spot. Even if we're on a path to enlightenment about other aspects of our lives, I would say food and body are sort of the top of the list of things that we tend to have blind spots about. And I also find that relationships 
<laughs> are up there too. Yes. How to have a, you know, awakened romantic relationships, just very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And it comes out in January on the 15th, which happens to be my mom's birthday. Oh, that's awesome. And, yeah. Uh, my mom who just quit Weight Watchers after like Woo-hoo. decades. Yeah. Great, I know that. great I job influencing that. I'm, I'm sure you had a piece of or a reason for that, you know, or like a part of that rather. So yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. And actually, you know, the book um, comes with a free download, which is a seven week program. Um, the download is available on my website when you buy the book and um, it will kind of walk you through gradually increasing a meditation practice and incorporating the, these teachings into your work, into your daily work. So this, this podcast will go live on January 8th. Of course, uh, listener, we are doing this beforehand, but um, the (laughs) first time people can listen to it is January 8th. And so when is your book coming out? A week later. Okay. Okay. So if someone wants to pre-order it, I'll go ahead and put a link in the show notes. And if they want to find out more about the book and or you, is there a place that you would recommend for them to go? Yeah. um, My my website is Eat to Love, E-A-T, the number two, L-O-V-E. And that's where I um, post videos and blogs and um, events around the book. Um, I offer, you know, a page of resources. It's sort of the home base for everything. Awesome. Well, I will put that in there too. So if you like what Jenna had to say and want to know more about Jenna's work, go to Eat to Love. And um, thank you so much for your time, your expertise, and of course, your compassion with this letter writer and anyone who's listening who can identify with what the letter writer said. I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. So there you have it. Letter writer, I hope this conversation that I had with Jenna provided some new steps. Certainly, I got some new meditation tools that I'm really excited to explore and to try out on my own, and I can't wait to hear how things go for you. I know you've been told and programmed to have these false truths, and I do wonder what your relationship with food and your relationship with others and your how your life would be if those false truths were no longer taking up that space. And I know you're craving that too. Please keep us posted on how things are going. I see food is written back, but before we get to that, this episode of the Love Food Podcast was brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. You can get to all the information at PCOSandFoodPeace.com, also at PCOSandFoodPeace.com slash dietitians. If you did enjoy this episode of a Love Food Podcast, I would love it if you could leave a rating, review, subscribe, or share the episode Doing any of these acts of kindness really helps the show grow and helps more people find the show, which I always think that the more people can feel at home in their own skin, the better. So thank you in advance for doing anything that helps more people find this podcast. All right, enough of all that. Let's hear what Fuda has to say. Until next time, take care. Dear a life of judging and judgment, we see the chaos you're sitting with every day, every moment. Your soundtrack pre-programmed to shout belittling, dark, false truths about yourself 
and body diversity. Pause. Practice self-compassion, as awkward as it feels. Poke holes in that soundtrack. It's not true. And connecting to that will make you angry. With this anger, you will notice more space to live and grow. It will also fuel your next steps on your food peace journey. Love food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care.